You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's Red Center, coming to you live, as it were. Well, I think live is pushing it a bit, Jason. From Las Vegas, Nevada, where we're home for the National Association of Broadcasters Conference. Of course, this is more sort of... uh, Wide casting, narrow casting, some other kind of casting, but I guess a broadcasting conference is not the dumbest place to be. Jace, how are you? I'm very well. Absolutely knackered. Knackered is a, knackered. Is an, is a good Pleasantly word. knackered. Pleasantly knackered. So we arrived, uh, I arrived on Friday, you arrived on Saturday. We're recording yep. this on Thursday. Um, actually, Wednesday night, for Thursday. Um, tell me, was NAB everything that you expected it to be? Because this is probably your first time to an actual NAB conference. It is my first time. Uh, it was uh, probably more than I expected. I really, I really expected it would be an absolute massive tr- trade show, and it was probably I don't know, I don't know what's bigger than that, <laughs> but there's something bigger than that, and it was the NAB. Yeah, absolutely huge. Well, look, what we're going to do is a bit of a special show. We're going to cross uh, in a moment to Jason and I where we recorded uh, the first section of today's show live on the floor of the NAB. Now, there are 88,000 people here at NAB. I think about about half of them turned up for our <laughs> presentation with Ted. But uh, on the Tuesday at, uh, at NAB, we had uh, basically a day down on the show floor. We were doing sort of podcasting and stuff. And the first of those sessions uh, we're going to cross to now where uh, you'll pick it up Uh, With me on stage, uh, I think welcoming Jason, uh, you up on stage. So as we do every week on Red Center, uh, we're going to hit with the news. And uh, if we can, we're going to start with our news. And I think the biggest thing that we've seen at the show so far is the uh, Da Vinci uh, Vinci cheap Mac version. Yeah, Resolve, running for uh, like under $1,000. Yeah, so for under $1,000 on a Mac, and if you guys haven't seen it, it's up at the DaVinci booth, and I thought this was pretty interesting, uh, mainly because, of course, uh, it can read our 3D files and grade them, but up until now, we've really had, what, colour as our sort of cheapest uh, independent film colour grading option. Which I think I probably played with for about five minutes, turned it on, said, I I hate this, and uh, deleted it. That's me, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Colour works, it's just that it had an Apple user interface, I'd like it more. It just immediately looked like something from another platform and uh, yeah, never really stuck with me, but then I guess I'm, it's not really my area of expertise. They um, have new panels as well, and uh, the new panels will go with it. So actually the, the takeout price for a, for a serious grading desk is still going to be up in the tens of thousands of dollars, but I guess for a, with a wave panel you can get it happening for about... A couple of grand, being a grand for the wave and a grand for the yeah. The, the wave is fantastic, but I mean, this panel you really should go and see it for like twenty nine. I think it's twenty nine thousand dollars all up with the software. I, I mean, there's twenty nine thousand dollars worth of aluminium just to put the thing together. There's twenty nine thousand dollars worth of LEDs in the thing. It's just and, and there's actually, a lot of control. Like getting this power, if you put some uh, stuff in it, we were up in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's not going to run real time unless you put some other grunt in it, but uh, it looks pretty interesting. And obviously it is a lot of money, but um, the what we've talked about before is that when you're trying to do colour correction, what's fantastic is to literally have all of the, rather than mouse control, Both hands. having all of the controls right in front of you, you can actually do, so obviously doing two things at once with two hands and literally seeing how those interact together rather than one, uh, you know, essentially changing one parameter at a time as you would with a mouse, so... Well, let's start. Let's start geeking out on cameras, though. And uh, Jason got to shoot with the Alexa. Have you guys seen the new Ari Alexa? So Jason actually gave it to Jason to film on uh, on Sunday. So uh, of course he filmed me, which is very nice of him. The first podcast um, shot on the Alexa. This is like the worst video projector in history. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Okay, go. Yeah. It's also the worst 
No, it's quite good photography actually, but uh, you just can't see it. Okay, so the Alexa is a digital camera from Arri. Let's run through what it is and why we like it. I guess for me it's aimed very heavily at, like, say, episodic television and stuff because it's a 2K HD output, down-res from a 3K file. Um, but it has created a lot of excitement. We were over yesterday at the Arri booth and it was like a who's who of, what do you call it? Uh, Digerati, or Digerati. Yeah, I guess so. We had Vincent Lafaray and uh, Rodney Cham, Rodney Sam Charters. Nicholson. Um, yeah, and, and Sony uh, guys. There was like Sony guys, Canon guys. Everybody was all over it, and it was quite funny. There was like 15 million iPhones flying, and they were all sort of twittering it. Uh, it was quite. That's the funniest thing. You got all these A-grade cinematographers, and they're all taking photos of this with their iPhone. So let's discuss the workflow because I think that's the big thing that you jumped on, like right out of the gate. Yeah. Well, what obviously it let us actually. Record on the po- record the podcast right then and there. We sort of un- we sort of took the camera away from them, shot it, rolled with it, took the uh, uh, took the cards, and we literally edited a, a podcast almost within you know yeah, fifteen so minutes is, of shooting. This is it. dual recording the Arri RAW format and the uh, SYS format, so uh, onto an SYS with a a uh, ProRes. So what you're basically doing is dual recording, and already we've seen other manufacturers or camera manufacturers come out with similar. Well, they haven't come out with them. They said they're coming out with them. But, yeah, so basically what we were doing is we were filming. In your case, you were filming. I was in the front. But it's dual recording a ARRI RAW file, which would go to one of the modern disc recorders we'll look at in a second. Which we'll go to that. And it um, was recording the already compressed or encoded ProRes to the card, which meant we just popped the card out and actually slid in to your laptop and then just copy those files directly. Yeah, SYX card is essentially like a three-quarter express card slotted straight into the uh, uh, into the side of your MacBook Pro. And I think the Ari guys were saying, oh, I think this is the first time this has actually happened outside Germany, guys, so uh, can we just sort of uh, it worked fine. keep this quiet? So, but, um, um, it was, yeah, it was terrific. I mean, obviously, this is a second-generation camera for Ari. They've learned an awful lot with the D20 and what people liked and didn't like, keeping stuff that they did. Uh, much the same as the Epic is the second generation for, for Red. They're, they're, they're learning they're a, a lot. There are pains to point out that the D21 isn't dead, but I've got to say, I would buy the Alexa at, a, well, it's about, what, 60000 over the D21? Yeah, 50000 uh, and uh, it's going to be available in two months. And I think, obviously, what it's going to do is there's going to be people who would have probably rented a D21 who now this is essentially probably putting it into the area where you're actually going to buy the thing. So I think you're going to find that they're already probably got pre-orders now that exceed the total amount of D21s they ever sold in, in the, since they launched it. Okay, so we were just talking about recording the, the ARRI RAW, RAW format, yeah. and uh, you can't really see it very well there, but that's the new Codex box, it's about this big, and it's uh, basically a hard drive recorder, and that's recording um, stuff that the ARRI RAW is putting out. Now the ARRI RAW is shooting 3K, and it down res to 2K or 1920 by 1080, uh, obviously, the RAW files are the ARRI RAW file. Now, the good thing about the ARRI RAW file format is that because it's already pre-existing, all of the companies you'd expect, like Baselight and Iridas and all those companies are already reading the ARRI RAW files. So I think out of the gate, when the Alexis hits, you're going to have an entire post-production workflow that's already running that's going to be, you know, mean that people get up to speed pretty quickly with it. I think that'll make a big difference. And in fact, I, I honestly believe this will be the, the biggest competitor of this. People are talking about the RED. I actually think it's the Genesis. I actually think Genesis yep. on episodic television, this is like the camera, because it's Ari, right? When you were, you know, in camera department before. Back in, before Ari the is Earth like, cooled. 
rock steady. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, what people want is the absolute rock solid reliability. You know, when Ari's finished with this thing and it's out the door, you switch it on, it is going to work. And uh, well, obviously, what they've aimed, they've aimed their resolution at. Uh, they're sort of steering away from the five, six K, and all that sort of up from up sort of high resolutions and aiming for say three and a half K. I think is the chip down to really sort of aiming for what 90% of the average um, DI prints you're going to see in the cinema is going to be a 2K, 2K release. So they're not really aiming for any more than you really need for average 2K DI. Obviously, Red has different ideas as to what the, the future is going to be, aiming more for sort of getting 4K out into the world. But for the moment, 2K is, is, is what their, uh, their world is about for Alexa. Yeah, so moving on, this is the Phantom Flex. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but the Flex is the new Phantom high-speed camera coming out. Now, we covered on uh, Red Center the 6 V640, which is shooting up to 2,700 frames. This new, elect, uh, this new Phantom Flex has exactly the same sensor in it as the uh, V640, but it shoots 2,800 frames. Primarily, you theory, had a theory on this, right? That just they just wanted the bragging yeah. rights. It's essentially it's the fastest camera in the world. It's not that much faster than the V640, but it's the, now the fastest camera in the world. So By whatever, like the, whatever the yeah. So whatever the, the next fastest one is, we want to be bigger. we want to be faster than that. So um, it's I think also the other advantage from the V640 the is one. that they want uh, that is they're claiming much higher dynamic range. Thirteen. Now 13 this is stops. really interesting. I'm going to talk to you guys about this because uh, this is something that is tech that's happening on these cameras that. I really have been digging at for a while. Um, in fact, the first time we got a run at this, the guy that explained it to us got it completely wrong, and someone came over and begged us not to go public with it because uh, it was so wrong. <laughs> but we've been digging as to how they're getting this dynamic range, and it's really quite interesting. Let me explain. The, the sensor is, if you guys have ever used a RED or, a, or a, any camera like this Phantom, you'll often have to put the cap on and do a black, uh, you know, so you do a white balance, you do a black, black balance. balance. And basically, the black balance takes a photo of nothing and then it uses that to baseline the noise floor. Now what this camera is doing, which is really interesting, is while it shoots at 2,800 frames a second, it actually only shoots at half that when it goes to its HQ mode, which has the higher dynamic range. And the way that they're getting this extra dynamic range out is that it takes the photo of you guys, for example, then it shuts down and takes its own photo of black, and then it subtracts the black from the previous frame, thus reducing the noise floor. And so this technique of basically dual photography, but not of the image, but of the image and effectively of the sensor's noise, subtracting that out in real time, or rather much faster in real time, means that they're going at 1,400 frames a second, doing two frames, combining them, subtracting them, reducing the noise floor, and thus by reducing the noise floor down, they're allowing you to have a much cleaner image, which gives you the dynamic range. Yeah, and we're finding that across all the cameras we've been looking at, Penelope and Alexa, to get this big dynamic range they're all claiming, no one's really getting that dynamic range out of one chip at one pass. Well, actually, that's interesting. I'm sorry to pull you up on that, but I'll be a dick, and that's not just right to I stop now? Go ahead. No, no, because the way that the Alexa does it is interesting, because what Alexa's doing, which is, which is really unique, is the sensor is basically taking the photo. So let's say it's taking a photo of you guys. Now, it wants to get the dynamic range, and it wants to get it out in one pass without having to drop the frames in, because they don't have the, the speed that this does. So they have two taps of the ASIC of the CMOS chip. So the chip literally has like, imagine two sets of wires coming out. One goes to the normal uh, A to D converter, which would be the normal picture, but they have a second one that's coming out processing for the low end. 
and so they effectively get two pictures from one. It's a bit like if you take a photo with your digital stills camera and you were to wind the exposure up one end in the raw file and wind the exposure down on the other end, but have two separate processes doing that simultaneously, and they get out something that's biased for the low-end dynamics, biased for the high-end dynamics, then they recombine that with a special ASIC chip to get the dynamic range. So the process that the uh, guys at ARI are going for is basically two taps of the one signal and then biasing the A to D converters. The bottom end one wouldn't allow the highlights to look any good, so most people don't do that, but of course if you do one for the high end, one for the low end, and then it kind of does almost like a tone map guess of which part of the dynamic range you're interested in and gives you that as a clean signal. And that's also like a dynamic scene by scene and frame by frame, it's sort of changing that, uh, there's a bit of a sort of... Uh, yeah. You know, it literally is dynamic, yeah. So essentially, no chip is really giving us the dynamic range in one pass. There is essentially, everyone's now just coming up with extra trickery and ways of getting the, you know, this magic 13 and a half, 13 stops dynamic range, but through uh, other means. Yeah. So, um, of course, this brings us to the red camera, which, which you can clearly here. see there. Yeah, clearly was see that. There you go. It was a picture of me. Uh, but I should point out that uh, if you're around, Ted is coming down here to the post pit booth at 2 o'clock. Uh, with this camera, so he'll be here at two and we'll discuss the red and we'll try and ask him then how red is approaching the problem of the Mysterium X getting uh, increased dynamic range. But Jace, I did a panel session in Sydney with a bunch of DOPs and when I asked them what was the number one thing that they would want out of a camera, every single one said the thing they want most right now is dynamic range. Yeah, I mean that's the, the one thing that essentially I have to really take into, we all have to take into account when we're sort of choosing your camera, uh, what, what am I shooting? Am I shooting you know, hot, ripply, sparkly, back, you know, backlit water or hot windows on a location. And, you know, to avoid, you know, getting, getting uh, stitched up, you sort of might start thinking, well, maybe we need to try and find some money in the budget for film. So as dynamic range comes up, uh, it's less and less, and especially with the MX sensor, but now less and less, that, it's le less and less of a decision. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, there's a fight going on between Ari and Red over these terms. And what they basically said, which is true, is that dynamic range is the range between acceptable at the high end and acceptable at the low end in terms of what you can see on a chart. What latitude refers to is what we like to deal with, which is if I shoot this thing a stop out or two stops under or a stop over, can I grade it back to get it to the right position? And so uh, basically, moving on, we have Penelope. Now, Penelope is the the camera that aims to be the best of both worlds. Yeah, well, because it is, essentially. Well, it will be. At the moment, obviously, Penelope does exist. It's in the real world, but with film ma film magazines, 35, uh, 35mm, it's designed to only shoot 3-perf or 2-perf. Uh, it's not a 4-perf uh, camera, not a full-frame 35mm Academy uh, film camera, but that's out, and you can rent it, and it exists. Uh, what is obviously coming and a little way off, it's going to be a year away, but they've developed the digi digital mag for the camera, which essentially, if you, if you can go back maybe, Jeff, there's a shot of the rear of the mag where there's uh, some uh, essentially like a flash RAM pack, which is a, like a bolted four SSD drives together into a module, which you slide in there. There's a lot of specs still yet to come about this. It's a year away. A year, a year is an awfully long time in this industry given that uh, what we've seen in just two years of Red Zeta. Yeah, so these guys are basically saying that you unclip your film cartridge, clip in a digital cartridge, and then the camera will now record to digital, and it will record raw, and it's higher than 4K. So we think it's 4.5K coming down to 4K actual resolution. The problem that they've got, which we quite loudly pointed out to them, 
is the uh, workflow because because these are four normal laptop drives just stacked, getting bandwidth to those drives is a bit of an issue. If they record raw to that upstream of the Bayer pattern, then you're going to need a post-transcode workflow. If they want to record it so it's a straight DPXs, which is what they were saying, obviously a single Bayer thing triples in size when it goes to a DPX, and so of course you need a bit more bandwidth they actually have available, or you'll have a very limited range of frame speeds you can shoot at. Yeah, at the moment very limited, they really don't know what the frame speed they're going to be able to achieve. Obviously the advantage of this is that the front half of the camera is a film camera, so you're still going to have the optical viewfinder, spinning mirror, so there's the limitations of the speed of how fast the camera and, and the physical shutter uh, system can run. Uh, but essentially you're, we're a year away from having a new optical viewfinder digital cinema camera because uh, Alexa's optical viewfinder version is also a year away. The uh, base model, jumping back to Alexa for a second, the base model that we talked about is the one that's going to be out in two months in June. Uh, but the optical viewfinder, the high-end, top-of-the-line one that uh, uh, does has a full-frame 35mm sensor that will let you do full-frame anamorphic photography. Uh, it's not a cropped or a 16 by 9 or a Super 35 sensor. That is a year away as well. So both of these cameras are going to be coming out head-to-head. -head. So it should be really interesting. The, another thing quickly with the back end of this, obviously the flash pack has to be removable as a separate item because the mag itself has to be fitted at the rental house or uh, at the at, uh, service area because it essentially has to be aligned up. The gate depth has to be aligned so it's not something you can literally just go from film to video on set, you, from to digital on set, you uh, literally, has, it's a half an hour operation and then the pack's in the very back state uh, of the thing that you swap out. That would be a very expensive operation having three of those. Moving on, you had some fun yesterday with the founder of Steadicam. Yeah, I was in absolute man love heaven yesterday. You can't really see it there. You can't really see it. Uh, he's not there. He, he should show up in any photograph. He's, a, he's uh, pretty much the tallest man I've ever met, so we definitely had to do a, an interview uh, with us both sitting on chairs. Garrett Brown, who is like an absolute god, and I had to really kind of just... And this is the guy that ran through the forest of Endor with the Steadicam, right? Exactly. He's, he's uh, invented the thing and he invented Skycam, which is in... Uh, go and see. They've got Skycam set up in uh, Centre Hall. Um, and uh, a lot of the... You know, the, under, un, the, the small, uh, tiny little runway camera under the swimming lanes at the Olympics invented that. The tube drop-down camera at the diving for the Olympics, he invented that. So he's got a uh, new a invention. God. Back to Jeff. Yeah. He's so got, it is got... a little hard to see on, in the pictures here. And what's obviously going to be fantastic is seeing some video. We're going to do a, a video version of uh, the, the uh, interview we recorded in FX Guide TV coming up very soon. Because you really have to see the images to believe it. Essentially, it's a, if you imagine it, uh, if you've got a... Uh, where's Matt with the Steadicam? Come on over. So we'll use Matt as we'll a visual prop, as so, a uh, video projector. So obviously, and that's in normal operation, you've got the centre column standing up. Apologies for people who are listening to this in audio. But if you put your centre column flat, uh, so if you imagine, essentially, put a camera crane like that. That's essentially what it is. It's a normal steady arm, arm and vest. It comes out. Um, but uh, obviously, it's a much, much longer centre column. So up this end is essentially a gimbal. It's almost like, it's like those, uh, a microphone boom. Now, it's all done by sort of just, it's very passive, there's no servos, it's all done with cables that run from one end to the other, and uh, literally you can have, uh, at one end you've got the gimbal, you turn the Steadicam normally on one end, and on the other end, essentially he's got a 5D there, but he says essentially you can take it right up, it's going to be fantastic for, for SI2K, for Scarlet, 
and this thing was just flying. While we're doing, the, have to watch out and catch the app because while we were doing it, uh, he's literally his operator was flying the camera. It's almost essentially around my head. It's very, very mobile. It's very, very light and nimble, and you can go from an inch off the deck to you know way above Garrett's head, which is uh, 92 feet. While we're talking about SLRs, Jace, you have your, um, just to finish up now, you have your favourite thing that you've found here from the show so far? In, in the small amount of the show I was able to see in uh, three quarters of a day, uh, I think the absolute killer is uh, what Red Rock Micro has to, to show. Um, I almost had to make notes on it. It's so amazing and so complicated. Well, I did have make notes on it. It's uh, essentially what they've come out with is a small, lightweight, affordable, uh, wireless focus control. Um, and also one of the other parts to it is a uh, sonar rangefinder, uh, which you put on top of the camera. So essentially, um, the base kit will be this small hand controller. Just go back one sec, Jeff. Yeah, essentially that's the, the first part of it, is a small hand controller, much the same as a normal Red Rock uh, micro hand controller. But you can see on the front there is a very small, very smooth thumb wheel. So essentially you can be having two, ca two hands on anyone who, who's tried to do anything with a DSLR knows it's complete pain in the butt unless you've got some sort of rig. And it's even easier if you've got two hands on it. So not having to take your hand off that one grip to adjust the focus all the time, that is a smooth, beautiful, proportional control of the focus wired straight up to a lens motor which they manufacture. So that's the base package has that that receiver. But wait, Jace. Uh, yes, more. I, I'm I'm building. I'm building, Mike. I'm building. I'm building. Um, okay. So the next step to that, add to that, is the uh, micro remote, which is a uh, um, essentially a small, almost the size of a VHS tape, even smaller, with a uh, focus control on one side, and that will let you, in its basic in its basic uh, form, will hook up with the receiver uh, and let you roll and stop the camera will let you um, uh, um, reverse the direction of the gears if you've got Nikon lenses. And it does a couple of other things which I can't quite remember. Uh, <laughs> but then it, gets, then it gets one step cooler. So you can actually push that panel down inside and then inside you slot on your iPhone or your iPod Touch. And so that is when it, you go to the App Store, buy an app, and put a regular phone in the Focus Pull remote. Okay, and that as as twelve years as Focus Pull, this just still makes me get, you, you get, were get, all, to this. get all gooey and, and and mushy inside, as it should anybody who's ever tried to do anything involving Focus. This is obviously not designed to suddenly get rid of Focus Pullers. It's still an art. It's still a craft. You still need a separate person to try and do this. If you're into this. And if you're into shallow depth of focus, you need somebody to help. So here, I'm just going to explain now how this is working. I will, I will point for you. Thank you. So first of all, you, uh, you start off by telling the unit what lens you have. So here it's got a Zeiss uh, 50 mil or so, anyway. So you can tell it the focal length and you can tell its aperture. Now, obviously, what it does is once you set up the lens and you've told it what it is, you can essentially save a lens bag of a whole bunch of lenses in your kit. Okay, so you've got five lenses. So when you swap lenses, it's really easy to go from one to the other. So once the unit knows what your lens is and what the aperture you're set to, if you turn the wheel, this main triangle will point to show you exactly what focus you're set to. So you can be 300 feet away. You can have it up on a crane. You can have it a steady cam down the end of a, a hall like this and uh, know exactly what your focus is set to. Now, uh, was there a shot of the? Did we see the shot of the sonar rangefinder? There we go. So on the top of the camera there is a very simple version of uh, what we've been using cinematography for a long time, the uh, cinematography electronic cine tape. Essentially it's a readout of uh, essentially a sonar distance, distance rangefinder 
giving you a great idea of uh, you know how far your actor is in front of you. Now you can use this as a guide. If you go back to the slide, Jeff, of the uh, display again, so you can have a separate arrow. That red arrow down the bottom is showing you what the cine tape is showing. So you can choose to ignore that, or if you're if you're pulling focus from the background to that point, you can use that. Uh, the next point you can do is then actually lock that together and put the uh, and tell the unit to essentially sync the cine tape to the uh, the motor and just go full auto. So if you had a car driving at the camera, literally the camera would know where the car is and the camera would send that back through the sonar tape to this box which you're looking at but not touching and it would pull focus for you as the logo of the car now, drove up to the camera. Now, go back again. Sorry, Jeff. One more. Go back. Yep. Okay. Now, what it's also doing, you see the blue area there. As your aperture changes or as you zoom, etc., it's actually giving you a guide of the depth of field. So you can see if you've if you've got that red arrow, you can it'll show you how much latitude you've got. So it's telling you the depth of field. Uh, you can program lenses. And the other thing is that also for lenses you don't have yet, or lenses you're yet to shoot with that next day, you can go to the net and download profiles of coming lenses, uh, and, and exchange those profiles that you've created for other people in this sort of online user environment. So it's absolutely fantastic. Obviously, it's all based around iPhone 3 software, so it's adaptable. It can change, and it's sort of you know, as as things as they think of functions, it can it can grow. So, so I've possibly talked slightly long about it, but there's a lot to tell. Well, that was crazy, um, and that was recorded on Tuesday of NAB, uh, actually in the morning. Uh, as I said earlier, we're now recording this sort of Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And thank you, actually, if you came. That was brilliant. I was really kind of worried that we weren't. Uh going to actually have anybody turning up and it was absolutely full crowd thank you if you showed up on the day yeah there was a terrific set of uh, speakers throughout the day but um actually Jace, you you actually kicked it off and i thought it was a terrific start to the uh, to the entire session that was uh, sensational hey so look um we uh, obviously discussed to that uh, point about um everyone being there we discussed the red rock micro gear and if later up in the show we'll have an interview uh, about that yeah, uh, we'll actually ch- chat with Brian Valente, the busiest man in NAB, who took us through the uh, remote focus control that uh, I think, as I say, is the highlight for me. Yeah, and uh, we'll actually have the photographs of the actual kit uh, that you took uh, in the show in notes. The show notes. Um, now, if the show notes come out a little bit behind the show, please uh, please cut us some slack. We'll be flying back to Sydney. We might try and get this show out to you like a day or so before the show notes. Yeah, and do check in the um, uh, iTunes feed as well because definitely you can actually now, thanks to the, the uh, internet wizardry of Mr. John Montgomery, you can... Uh, download the show notes straight through the iTunes feed. So, look, um, one of the big things, of course, here at NAB that we were keen to look at uh, was what were the developments with RED. And uh, I spent most of today over at RED Day at the Tropicana. Uh, and you, you, of course, came over and joined me. Yeah. So let's, um, let's, let's uh, shift gears, I guess, and, and, uh, and pick that up. And I guess the thing for me is that um, this was the first time we'd seen the Epic actually filming, producing shots. Um, maybe you could describe the setup they had. Uh, well, obviously, there was a, an, an outer area, I guess, where they had third-party vendors and they had some accessories and non-working uh, prototype epics out and about for people to get a little bit closer. Uh, but then, obviously, there's off to one side. And because of the sheer crowd, 
uh, they were approaching the fire marshal's sort of limits for the room. There was uh, had to sort of usher people through to another room, um, and, uh, and you know, in groups to get a bit closer to a uh, the working epic in a separate room, quite dimly lit. It was all fantastic. They're really good at uh, building up a bit of atmosphere. Those yes, guys. they had a uh, semi-naked woman in a uh, straight jacket inside a jail cell. I'm not making this up, actually, and uh, it was in a low-lit environment, being filmed by two red ones with the MX sensor and then in addition to that two epics with slightly different configurations it, uh, also simultaneously it was shooting. the complete 180 of what we'd been seeing and walking around the halls when you see these bored absolutely bored shitless models sitting yeah. <laughs> sitting on in boxes fact, we almost just can, I think got to like about a dozen bored girls sitting in front of green screens yeah just sitting in front of green screens you know with their iPhones updating their Facebook and uh while uh, Japanese businessmen um, perv on them in 3,000 times uh, zoom lenses uh and uh, this was the complete antithesis of this. It's, um, yeah, as you say, a girl in a straight jacket in a so, cage. So while some naked girls in jacket are quite a lot of interest to, to half our demographic, what did you actually think of the pimmages coming out of the, uh, the red? Oh, look, it was uh, quite astounding, actually. I mean, I th- we were sort of getting used to the, this new, you know, the new uh, batch of images coming out of the MX. But uh, I, think, I think probably for me it was just literally the fact that uh, I could see images coming out of something that that small they had two epics set up a small light how light uh the small light um variation that we've been seeing so far and the uh, more sort of stacked up uh, studio version with the um uh, the pro in and out uh, modules so we could definitely see more than one working epic and in, in a couple of variations so it was basically i mean the images were great we're used to it but it's great to see physically images coming out of the new one yeah now now, Jim and uh, Jared, before the show opened, kindly um, uh, offered us to ex- shoot that exclusively. So in between the sessions when the audience were coming, it was a very much a strictly uh, no photography zone. We were actually allowed to go in with a film crew, Steadicam, and film that. And they'll be coming in an episode of FX Guide TV. Uh, we were filming the rig and setup. We weren't filming with the Epic on the Steadicam, but it was a terrific opportunity. We really appreciate the generosity of uh, Red pushing it. <laughs> in, uh, in allowing us to do that. No, they really were... Um, very good, and they sort of delayed proceedings while we went in and did all yeah, that. Yeah, no and, thanks uh, again to Ted. Ted, of course, again, being very generous with his time. Um, one other thing I want to discuss, Jace, is uh, the session that happened before that, which was a rundown, I guess a bit of a news day, but they were uh, they had a 4K, very high-quality projector that was projecting um, stuff in the uh, room next door, which was uh, kind of a, I think it was the T420 uh, new Sony projector. It's basically... Uh, a 4K projector, and I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying I heard that about 12 and a half, maybe 12 or 13,000 of these projectors in one of the largest orders ever have been ordered to be installed in cinemas in the US across the next 12 months. Is that right? Fantastic. But this um, this was really interesting because there was quite a lot, uh, I think the theme, if I was to characterise it, of the Red Day was twofold. One was, from a production point of view, 4K is the only adequate uh, capture uh, sort of level to be going at, the idea of filming something like a feature at 2K, um, from Red's point of view, just not enough. And I think the second one was this theme of, uh, which we've certainly been looking at in FX PhD, which is that post-production's moving on set, and a lot more stuff is being done on set. And so let me just go through some of the, um, quickly some of the things that happened. They showed this great reel of uh, 4K material. Uh, Most of the, the, well, actually I think there were three reels. There was a reel of 4K that was shot on the MX. There was a reel of just normal... Red footage, which is a great reel. It had a lot of stuff, but some of it obviously, or a lot of it, was um, pre-MX. 
And then they showed some actual footage shot on the Epic. Not a lot of shop stuff, I must admit. Not a lot of footage from the actual Epic was in the theatre. Right. Um, but uh, it all looked, it absolutely looked brilliant. Um, but they also showed um, stuff from the new Fincher film, which is The Social Network. Uh, there was an introduction by um, uh, Peter Jackson. Really? Yeah. Peter Jackson was uh, up on the screen from New Zealand, shot in 4K, holding a red, uh, discussing the fact that uh, he has thought that 4K was a really good capture format. And the thing that I found really, really funny about this is that several times during Peter Jackson's um, discussion, he actually had digs at Jim about the uh, red camera and not delivering Epic. It was like, uh, so they don't want to spend too long here at the trade show at NAB because if you get back, because they need to ship Epics. Yeah. Actually, the audience was laughing quite loudly about that. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of MX footage. Where do you take it from? I mean, if you're seeing all this footage on the screen, what was differentiating the Epic footage? Was I mean, was there a lot of 120 frames per second at full 4K? No, or? The, there was not much actual Epic footage in the theatre. Most of the, the theatre footage was uh, MX footage. Yeah. Um, and that footage was, I guess, low light and, uh, and latitude stuff, you know, going from different uh, environments. I've got to say that it's hard to discuss that without seeing it because, sure. it, you know, it's gorgeous footage, a huge range of uh, models and cars and stuff. And, of course, just some indie stuff that was shot very much. Um, yeah, this is the most amazing footage ever, actually, just in, from a photography point of view, of some guys suicidally skateboarding yeah. down a really, really steep hill yeah. um, with the camera about an inch off the deck. And they were like what I'd call four-wheel drifting – um, I mean, Downhill was, drifting longboard skateboarding. I, I don't know who to credit for that footage, because, yeah. but it was astounding. It was if anyone astounding. knows who shot that, oh my god, let us know because it was it was incredible. Yeah. Anyway, they also showed um, the new uh, Red Cine X, which is going to be actually should be live by the time you hear this podcast. It's Great. going out in the next twenty four hours. Now, Red Cine X is a good. Uh, piece of software, but the user interface has been a little um, cluttered, a little uh, harsh to get a real estate on the screen. It now has full tab control, so all the windows tab off and tab on. Um, it also uh, has a still store in it now, so you can just sort of grab uh, up to three frames just for sort of reference stuff. There's a lot more um, functionality in terms of creating, even with the curves looks, which you can then export to the camera, like save the current look to the camera and back. But the one that I liked, which you'll like, yep. is they were showing Magic Bullet plugins uh, as a plugin in the module section Fantastic. of Retina. You just Gr- spent the uh, Gray- same frame with... I did with Stu. Grading even a director can do. I just thought it was uh, sensational. It it's just works the way my mind works, which is I think colour is the probably the 180 degrees opposite of that, which were completely unintuitive in my book. But, um, you know, that's me. Support of the new control surface, the one company that Avid bought this week, which is under $1,500. Euphonics, um, right? Yep. MC Control. Yep. And I'll tell you the other thing that there was, uh, you know, like this, they had um, some really good uh, export stuff. So you could export um, any aspect ratio, like by simply drawing a rectangle up on the screen, and wow. it would just output that. You could immediately do a screen grab of that. Right. But also they had OpenEXR with accelerated export, um, Avid, AAF or uh, MXF uh, wrapped media. So basically they were doing MXF or any kind of DNxHD at 32 frames a second. It's rapidly becoming a really impressive tool and a really capable tool. It does more than we've been used to being able to do out of a, a piece of software like that. There's also a new uh, QuickTime plugin. So that's fixed, you know, the problem that you had on the um, with the MX footage that the uh, QuickTime stuff wasn't really quite working right. 100%, so that's all done. Um, so there's a bunch of new audio stuff, new syncing stuff, um, 
So really, really looked good. And a lot of this stuff is uh, aimed to basically, as I say, bring post on set and allow things to be done really, really simply. In fact, uh, the guys from Light um, Iron, Michael, were showing not only uh, the idea of taking stuff on set, but actually doing, instead of uh, dailies, he was calling them hourlies. And uh, they would actually publish or the dailies. I think Ted might have also recorded. Well, but the thing about this is they were publishing them not only uh, on set instantaneously, as you say, but straight to an iPad. And they have an iPad app. And he was walking around on stage with the iPad app. And so if you were the director, you would have an iPad near you. And anything shot an hour ago would be sitting. I should. Um, I? You should. I'll, I'll get you an iPad. Did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> and there's, um, You're rolling, right, Jeff? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course... Uh, you know, a jet of general discussion was had about the state of the industry. Um, something I didn't actually know about, do you know about the um, Fujifilm RDI negative? It's a new um, intermediate uh, neg that they're using for doing uh, stuff on film records. Apparently, Kodak's right. got a new one too. But um, but this is sounding really good. So they mentioned that at passing on, trying to investigate it for a future app. But the- so are we still doing film internet? Uh, well, sure. If you do a well, print, I mean, it's for, it must be an egg. If you're yeah. doing a print to go out for a film, you, right. a lot of you, places still have. Yeah, of course. Then you need film to film in the cinemas and keep striking release prints from that. Yeah, and this actually has much better dynamic uh, response for digital did. files. Hey, um, okay. the other thing that, uh, that they did, which is a trick that they've done before, I should have expected it, is the. You know, I said there were three lots of stuff. Not the MX footage, but just the normal red reel, which was really nice, was being played back from the red ray. And I did the, see the red ray. I saw it. Took some shots of it. The big one. It's uh, outstanding. It's, it's running now at uh, 15 megabits a second. Now, I was talking to Dean. Um, actually, I wasn't talking to Dean about it's that. It's a I was big bastard. To, it is. In real life? Well, that's the pro version. Yeah, that's what I saw. But I haven't seen a real proper little mini red ray. Did you see that? No, no. Well, this one's coming out first, the bigger one. Sure. Uh, so it was Graham I was speaking to, and he was saying that um, the rate is now 15 megabits a second, which is still ridiculously low. But it's made, uh, I don't think this is confidential, because they want to make it a little easier to encode them footage. If you were to go for something slightly lower than 15, you'd have to do a bit of hand tweaking. You could do it, but what's the point? Why, why try and eke out another little tiny bit if you can make it that much easier to generate the yeah. red rate footage? Um, and, of course, as I said, 15 megabits a second is nothing. It's like, it's like DV level because it's a, it's a play-out format. It's like a... It's not expected to be edited. Was there anything actually spoken about the Red Ray, just the, the standard well, they showed Red it. Ray? I mean, they showed it playing. Sure. But last I saw on the website at Red, it actually still says coming 2009. I just wondered if there was an update on <laughs> when it was going to actually appear. Well, you probably weren't paying attention because you are being mobbed by fans. But when Ted joined us on stage on the Tuesday, I actually asked him about that. And he said it was absolutely on schedule. I was too busy taking photographs of the huge crowd. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we asked him about that on, okay. on, on, on stage. Schedule. He said it was still on schedule. Um, of course, we saw it today running. Uh, it's in prototype form. So yep. everyone's focused on Epic, but the bottom line was neither Scarlet nor Red Ray have been put to the sidelines. Yeah. And, and of course, a lot of the accessories and everything else that will work on an Epic are designed so they'll also work I'm on sure Scarlet. I'm sure everyone would happily, you know, just let, let, let's get Epic out and Red Ray we can worry about later. So I, had not, I had not seen the newest... The actual prototypes of Scarlet. Did you see them today, the small ones? No. There were the, was, was some huge crowds in there. It was uh, massive. It was really hard to get to stuff. Well, that must have been the last thing I missed. Yeah. No, I, I was lucky to be in there before they opened. and So it looks... It's evolved? I guess I just hadn't realised how small... I, I, oh, okay. Because, you know, we were when we were filming with Ted on yeah. Tuesday, he gave us an epic to... Uh, not not uh, a functioning one, but, a, you know, a one that was not... Uh, 
powered up. Yeah. And I was, you know, checking out for weight and size and it felt like a mid-format camera. It was great. Yeah. Kind of got used to that. It was carrying around again today for a bit. And um, so when I got to the scarlet, I kind of, oh, yeah, with a small fixed lens. It's actually yeah, pretty well, bloody small. Yeah, because you keep forgetting that it is actually going to be a thinner form factor. Thinner, smaller lens. I mean, yeah. you, you held the Epic. Yeah, well, that's another thing. I mean, we should talk about the fact that physically touching it, I mean, I really was expecting something when you see it in somebody else's hands as you do you know if you go to the fx guide tv there's uh, plenty of footage of, of ted with us uh, holding it um but it, we were holding it on sunday weren't we yeah to look thing. yeah to look at it and to hold it is when you when you see it in somebody else's hands it looks a lot heavier than it actually is when we're carrying it it has the um the new uh, 17 to i forget sorry the new the, the, the new the new wide zoom oh okay yep. Sorry, yeah the, and the, the combination of that body to, and and the lens together you would expect to be a lot heavier than it actually is it's actually quite quite comfortable that you know you could do some you know some the extended thing shooting I would say from it. from having you know and i was only holding it for maybe like a half an hour or so today yeah, yeah. i i want to make sure on the final ones that the um v-lock clip Yes. It's a little solid, more solid on the back of the red remote, which, by the way, you had is awesome. The working, you were carrying the working one, one of the working today. ones around? Well, I was not, no, I had no. one, I had not one that was powered on today. Yeah. I had... Um, I thought the same. When I took the red mode off the back, it, it's a little bit easy to... Double I, I, went, I forgot the fact that you've actually got to press the buttons on the side of the red mode, and I actually just said, oh, I'll just clip it off like this. And Ted said, uh, you've got to press the buttons. <laughs> yeah. Jim actually, and it did pump, pop off without me pressing. Jim walked out into the area where the queue was to get in, uh, which was huge, uh, carrying a working epic that was filming, you know, like it was live running. Yeah. And uh, the uh, audience went, you know, ballistic... <laughs> Um, so look, I think I think it was um, a really good day. I think it was a very clever thing for the uh, the sort of combined user group red thing because obviously they got enormous amount of attention and they were obviously very generous in buying enormous amounts of drinks and food for everyone. But they got a lot of attention. Probably about a couple of thousand people, I think, uh, would yep. be have gone through the red day. You'd probably get more than that down on the booth, but you'd get less time with them. No one would spend anywhere near as long. I think uh, if you weren't up at the Tropicana, you'd. Yeah, you, know, you would sort of stay there for hours as opposed to like pass through the booth in yeah. half an hour or something. And I guess, I suppose, now having sort of come to the end of the show for us, and I think we obviously we've seen pretty much everything that's going to happen in digital cinema for, for the next yeah, year, yeah. essentially. And it still looks like the epic. And not being a, trying to be a fanboy about it because we've had seen some fantastic gear, but it does seem like Red still got the perfect package, I think. I, I think that there will be people for which the Alexa will be a very appealing box. This I think that it will be successful in episodic television. But I think, but I think an all-round version. There's nothing, because Epic, you can turn it into, stack it on and turn it into a perfect studio camera. But I would say this. I think that the competition for the Alexa is wrongly aimed at, at, uh, at Red. I think the competition sure. for the Alexa is the Genesis. I think if I was somebody in episodic Absolutely. television, it would be whether I picked a Genesis. If you've not got a Red now, and most episodic television doesn't... Yep. Um, then I think you'd probably go from the Genesis with a more of a tape-based workflow to the Alexa, yeah. and that would be a simpler jump than to Red. Well, not saying you should or not. Completely un, 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 it's going to completely kill the whole Genesis market and, because essentially now for a camera that's going to be, say, 50, 60 grand, you're going to start to see, to some degree, the end of bigger rental houses. I mean, the people are going to. This is a camera that you you just buy it. But I'd have you know, to say getting into that. The whole reason rental houses existed in the beginning is because cameras were either impossibly expensive. People, you know, you couldn't physically buy them, yeah. or they were just, you know, you're talking half a million, quarter of a million dollar items. Yeah, so, I'd have to say that the camera I saw more of than any other camera 
by far in professional everything yep. was uh, Canon 5Ds. Yep. Uh, that they is were everywhere which on the we haven't floor. really talked about is that, I mean, last year probably NEB, the big focus for you guys, your takeout from last year, I remember, was, was obviously the you know the coming of 3D, which obviously had still had a major presence this time. But yeah, if you looked around, everyone's demo rigs, everyone's tripods, everyone's crane. We saw, we saw 5Ds on like on um, um, on Garrett Steadicam. I saw a 5D. I saw this fantastic... I'll try, have to remember to put it in the show notes. Um, uh, we talked about in the past episodes those fantastic, like the ML500 V8 massive tracking, you know, stabilised gyro tracking rigs. There was the, I guess, the DSLR version of that, which was a Mini Cooper... With oh, a, I saw that. It was great. A Mini Cooper with a, a carbon a crane out of the roof of it and uh, a stabilised three-axis head. You could do Dutch tilts and everything. And bolted right in the middle of that was a, a Canon 5D. And, and there was a programmer sitting in the car yeah, well, the trying to write code in the car because it was a quiet place to sit. Clearly it's still in, in progress. But that looked, you know, it was all bolted into the car. It looked like you could go fly that tomorrow. Look, let, let's, let's uh, recall what it was like the first morning of the show. We'd already been to the... Uh, effectively, there was like a kind of a DOP conference on the Sunday, which had a lot of lectures. So we'd been to those um, and we'll... We discussed some of that uh, you heard in the general show. Let's not forget what it was like when we went uh, down to the Arry booth at the start of the first day of the trade show. Yeah, when the trade show uh, kicked off uh, in in earnest. was uh, Yeah, it was quite funny because uh, I thought, oh, there's uh, Rodney Charters and there's uh, Vincent Lafayette. And there was all these... Uh, Sam Nicholson from... Sam uh, Nicholson. There was like... Digital. Yep, there was like seven or eight of the current... Uh, I won't say crop of you know the, the guys for but, who are but the who are is, serious. No, no, but remember the, they were all they were gathered around the uh, the Alexa, and then every single one of them pulled out an iPhone all and pop- was taking photos. They of were their all in in sequence taking photos of each other hysterical. and then twittering it out, and it was uh, quite funny to see all these guys sort of gushing over the, this uh, new gear, and and half of them were all sort of you know all great cinematographers in their own right, but have come from. Uh, I just love the fact that they're all embracing this new gear in DSLRs and you know, Alexa. It was quite a, quite a funny scene to get all these celebs uh, in Digerati into one um, into one. Well, that wasn't the end of it either. We just saw tons of people walking around that that first morning around that booth. Remember? Yeah, that was a really uh, really busy booth. And what was funny, and I noticed today when I went back again, that was like they had about five or six Alexas on different tripods, different rigs, different lenses, and uh, people just cramming to get to them. And I looked over to one side, and just at the end of the booth, but seriously, like no one within ten meters of it was this D twenty one on a tripod. Poor poor thing. Literally, that was only whatever three four three four years ago. That was they would have had people all over it, and it's now all of a sudden this sort of poor. The, the poor, uh, the poor cousin with the, the the limp and the the eyes that are a bit too, that don't look in the same direction. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, and also a lot harsh. I think. Well, before I forget, I also wanted to, and you would sort of um, second this, I'm sure, Mike, because you had exactly the same. Um, thank you to all the people who came up and, uh, for some reason, and who recognised us or, or or knew us or were fans of the podcast or had taken my. Uh, directing course and had uh, uh, came up to t- take the time to to say thank you for for the show and for the for the course and all that sort of stuff and, and for oh, the PhD. I thought it was just fantastic to see so many uh, people and you I know mean, who you are. One uh, of the reasons that it's great to be at NAB is to meet people like that. Yeah, look, there is like you know, since I started the show, there's like essentially like hundreds of fantastic contacts and some really great great fer- friends that I've made through doing you know doing the doing well, what's the show. weird is because you've got your name tag on yeah um 
And like we'd walk up to booths and I'd go to say, hi, where, and it'd be whatever it was, Red Rock Micro, whatever booth we're kind of at, yeah. people would be like, love the show, man. And we'd go, okay, yeah, cool. But, but what I love is you're talking to somebody who's coming to the NAB for the first time, who's listened to the show, maybe a PhD member, that's all terrific. And then like 10 seconds later, you can be having a half hour chat with Rick, Rick McCallan or somebody. I mean, it's just... I, I did, which was kind of bizarre. And it was because I was walking past with a, a DSLR on a, a shoulder rig and uh, Rick McKenna, this is like the, the head of ILM, called me over. I said, dude, come over here. Let me show me this. And he, put it, he was like riveted and put it like you haven't seen one of these before. That was quite funny. So I had a good chat with Rick. Yeah, so there's just so many good people here uh, to talk to. And I've, I've got to thank all, a lot of the equipment manufacturers as well. They're really, really generous with their time. I mean, he's uh, probably saw on FX Guide TV. Um, we turned up at Ari and they were so enthusiastic that they gave you a... And Alexa to shoot with them. Um, well, we got to shoot it. Yeah, we were just going to go put it in the interview, but uh, obviously it's your excellent su- suggestion, as you do, Mike, in the heat of the moment. So, well, why don't we just? Does it work? Yeah. Have you got a card? Yeah. Okay. Have you got a battery? Good. Can we shoot the po- Can we shoot the podcast on it? So it was kind of funny um, shooting you, shooting the podcast, while uh, Matt on the Steadicam shot you, shooting me, shooting the podcast. I must admit, when I've done those interviews in the past, normally people come up and watch the interview. Like I'm kind of used to people watching me watch the interview. Yeah. Okay. I, I looked out of the corner of my eye in the middle of that Ari interview. Every back was to me, all looking at the camera. It was like it was like, please don't step in front of the lens while we're actually filming. Um, yes, it was probably the least interested everyone had been, been in, you in me in my entire life. Yeah. yeah, and <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. But it, when uh, Jeff was actually transferring the files back at our hotel suite, I think someone from Ari actually said to him, "Actually, I don't think anyone outside Ari or has actually ever done this before." And Jeff was like, "Well, yeah. it's working." Yeah, so and it did. Good. It was, it was good. terrific. The uh, um, most fiddliest thing was probably downloading the the drivers from the Sony site for the. Uh, S by S card. That was it. Yeah. Everything yeah. else was just was easy. Tommy, I, we're going to go to that interview in a second with Red Rock Micro, but I, one of the things I like about NAB is you come across obscure or, you know, odd little things in odd little corners. Were there things here that you found that... Uh... Absolutely, yeah. There was a brilliant rig, and I keep meaning to um, to review it, and uh, I was, unfortunately I couldn't get uh, get the guy to, to get the um, gear in hand. But there's a fantastic uh, and very simple, and it's, gonna, it's a DSLR piece of kit, it's by IDC Photo. I think that's the name. IDC Photography. I think if you just at least Google that, you'll find them. And um, Bruce Dawn makes a fa- he's a, a photographer and a and a, a TVC director and uh, feature feature guy. And he's made this very interesting, very simple um, SLR rig, which essentially is. I don't know whether you've seen it, Mike. It's a, it's essentially a skateboard. Well, to call it a skateboard wheel is probably. You know, talking is probably being a little bit unfair, but it's essentially rather than rods and brackets and follow focuses and uh, you know gears, putting strapping gears to your lens, it's uh, essentially a um, a skateboard wheel at forty-five degree angle, just pressing up against the rubber grip of your lens. Really? And uh, you just light press, and then you've essentially you're just moving the. It essentially just shifts the action of focusing from going your hand going around the lens to something more like a little tiny little mini follow focus and the idea is that obviously you're not carrying then gears all on you you're not putting gears all on all your lenses and having to if you want to then go into stills mode or to video mode you're not having to put those things on and off you've got those gears for your red rock uh kit mike you know i mean it's fine but it's nice to not have them all the time and when you're changing lenses you don't have to change gears you literally just move the wheel out of the way change your lenses and push it back in again uh, and he's got a whole bunch of um, very simple little hand grips, and that's, I think it's very clever. IDC photo. The one that I got, which I must admit I actually bought, is a teleprompter for my iPad. You did, that's right, the ProPrompter. 
the Pro Prompter. So this is like, uh, imagine you've got your iPhone in, and you're actually holding it, or you could have it on the desk in front of you, and you're being interviewed, or you're recording something. Well, as you reach down, and obviously you wouldn't look down, but you'd reach down and just touch it with your thumb, you can control the iPad, which is on the same Wi-Fi, acting as the prompter, uh, of course, being reflected in glass, and it fits on your camera. There's a ring to and a bracket, so you'd put it on the tripod, connect it up. Yeah, it works pretty simple. And the, obviously, the, the thing about it is the remote, the monitor, everything is completely wireless. There's no batteries, there's no, well, there's, there's batteries, but there's no batteries, separate batteries with cables. Literally, just you need your iPhone and your iPad. And you're off you go. And obviously, what's the and it's exactly the same tech with real um, prompters that you need to have on your iPhone. You see the words in the text that the um, presenter in front of you is seeing, and you can follow along with them. And obviously, you, just by scrolling your thumb up and down on the screen, you can then um, speed up or slow down the uh, text to match their. Yeah, I mean, if there was a speed that you just liked, it would just run at that. Oh, sure, absolutely, if you were doing one-man band, but you could actually have somebody else running the audio queue for you. Totally. It's just sensational. It's going to be great for you guys. so obviously simple. You know what I mean? And we looked at it, didn't we? It was like you could read it from, like, yards away. Yeah, it would be fantastic for you guys, because, you know, obviously all your stuff's completely, you know, scripted word by word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think you're um, having a dig. (laughs) Hey, one of the things that was discussed enormous amount here, and I was a bit surprised actually because we'd already discussed it about a week ago or two, uh, was this last episode of House. And uh, Gail Tattleson, being um, the DP, had shot it on the 5D. Yeah, that's right. And um, obviously, we're still yet to sort of hook up with him, but uh, Gail's, uh, we've made contact and be fantastic to. Uh, um, I think I saw I think he's he definitely putting it out in May, right? That's when it goes to air. I'm sure right. he posted that. Yeah, and obviously Canon, that's in, in, in conjunction with Canon, and they, you know, all the reps were there on set, and they um, obviously yeah, I bet they were. gave them lots of gear, so no doubt it's going to work for both, uh, both parties. And um, I think it all went really smoothly. They didn't use any special glass, just used the standard Canon L glass. And, uh, yeah, it must have been the hand, because apparently the dolly grips were just... Happily just sitting on the dolly watching it all. We also ran into uh, Rodney Charters as well, didn't we? Was, yes, it was a great, to see, a nice guy. great to see Rodney um, again in... Uh, well, I see him again. We Sorry, had a great... I've looked that up. It's May 17th, I believe. May uh, 17th. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. Um, yeah, great to see Rodney in person and see uh, Philip Bloom uh, in person as well. It was really nice to catch up with him. Yep. It was Always really, again, Philip. really good to, to see some people that well, I've interviewed over the time for, for Red Centre uh, in person. Yeah, we were lucky to have uh, Michael James, who came down to talk on the booth, uh, who brought the Gigapan. So we were shooting Gigapixel Gigapan. So if you go to the FX Guide website, we'll have a link, and you can actually... uh, I think I worked it out. It was a 32,000-pixel by 9,000-pixel picture of the audience at the end of the day. It had gone down a lot by the end of the day. Still a lot of people, but um, the end of the day at uh, at the booth. Yeah. And oh, Michael no, did a great job. It really, did, I'm a, you haven't seen him yet, but he said his HDRs off the top of the hotel he was staying at, looking right. down the strip. Oh yeah. my God, they're gorgeous. Wow, fantastic. So, anything else to uh, catch your eye? I mean, we're probably talking about this for next week or two. Yeah, I'm sure we'll. I might. I'm sh- I think I, well, I've just shot gigabytes of photos and video, and it's going to take me certainly. Uh, a while to sort of for it to sink in. I know as soon as I, as soon as you I sound cut, almost depressed, but I think it's just exhaustion. Yeah, I, it, like I said, you, nothing will, pre- nothing can prepare you for the size of this. And I, I kind of knew when, I knew what to expect. Seen pictures and seen videos, but uh, literally, what's knackering is literally getting, just getting around. It is so big. Well, but I mean, we we, like I was getting down the, you know, getting up and going down the 
you know thing earlier this morning and that was like what was that like six seven o'clock in the morning and then you're going out night what yeah like i'm thinking trying to work out the hours right yeah you're getting like five hours sleep right because you don't get into like 2 a.m yeah and you're up at seven yeah and then but even if you've got to see one go to got you've got one booth to go see and it's the middle of one of the hall and this the, the hall is right next to our wow, how many halls did you get to there I only got to two out of the three, and I've been going for three. Four, Did you get to both for three days. <laughs> Did you get to the top level and the bottom? And uh, the... Yeah, I got up to the top level and like? rapidly went back down again because it was all very, very. I had intended to see Stan Lee, but I never got over for his thing. And apparently today um, also was the uh, infamous discussion because um, Katzenberg was in laying into um, stereoscopic uh, dimensionalizing, right. and uh, I don't think he actually again articulated his hatred of uh, the work done on on Clash of the Titans, but certainly he was um, pulling no punches in so well, much he hated the current dimensional. may have, in to some degree, a valid point, but there's two ways to make it. You can either make it the nice way or his way. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's his... That's, but that's yeah, there, him. Just, there just were a lot of people here at NAB, and, and quite frankly, we had... Um, I think not a spare moment, and yet there were a lot more people we could have gone and seen, a lot more talks we could have done. Yeah. Uh, actually, probably a better NAB than I had anticipated to tell you last truth. Yeah, no, look, I think all the, I answered all the things I wanted to, to, to see. Um, all the stuff I wanted to see and get get launched, got launched. I saw it. You know, we could gra- we can grade uh, on red. There's one other thing we Avid didn't mention, actually. Red. One other thing we, I don't know how we could not mention it. Um, the gossip before NAB, of course, was about the storm from the foundry uh, discussing uh, that. Uh, was off the record, and then it became on the record when we got to sneak in on the Sunday before the show opened. The only reason I, I passed on mentioning that earlier uh, and forgot to mention in the news section is because we broke that story what feels like a month ago, but actually was like four days ago, and there's a full uh, bunch of screen grabs and stuff up on the fxguide.com site. If you haven't seen it, I mean, about 10 million people actually have been to the site and seen that. But yeah. uh, Did you actually get down to Sea Storm? Uh, no, it was uh, no. I didn't even know they were actually really showing it. Well, you could have gone in. Oh, okay. But sure. yeah, I mean, it was not. They're not super public, but they were. They were showing it. I'll just wait till you tell me all about it. Okay. Well, in an upcoming episode, we'll review it. It's not out yet. It's not going to be out till IBC. Okay. And there are so some interesting like things coming October up. October or so. I. I. Yes, there may be some interesting things between now and then. <laughs> Cryptic, Mr. NDA, well, Seymour. We, Thank um, you. We we um were kind enough to go to dinner with the guys, so I can't talk about that. But yeah. Excellent. Hey, um, the other thing is, I will say the pattern of. I know I'm not mentioning this, but it's a bit of a rattle, But the pattern of uh, eating here in Vegas to me seems good, but snatched breakfast, followed by the worst lunch you've ever had, <laughs> followed by the best dinner you've ever had. Yeah, I think that's right. I've had literally some of the most amazing food, and uh, this is complete contrary to my last visit here about four years ago, whereby you just literally, um, after a couple of days, you're reaching for some sort of emodium or some sort of uh, anti-cramping pill, um, and complete contrary to that, it was just been some outstanding food. Of course, it helps to hang around with uh, some uh, with you guys who've got some uh, excellent uh, uh, dinner contacts. Our dinner contacts consist of watching uh, Top Chef USA and then going to their restaurants. Hey, um, look, we're going to cut now to that interview uh, we mentioned with Red Rock Micro, which uh, Jason's sort of pick of the week, as it were, on the stand of the uh, FX Guide uh, post pit post pit. FX Guide uh, stand. And um, the guys were great. And I've got to tell you, uh, there is no doubt in my mind that we're going to uh, buy one of these for our uh, Red. 
guide, Brian Valenti here from Red Rock Micro. We're here, one of the most popular products we're introducing this year is the Micro Remote. So we're going to kind of walk you guys through it. It's, uh, it's a complete system for focus control, not just a, a device. So I want to walk you through it. At the heart of this is our Micro uh, Remote Base Station. You see this is a uh, wireless receiver. It's got the ability to um, calibrate your lenses both automatically or manually. Got a bunch of connection ports here. You can see it's actually connected up over here on this ring. Runs out to a motor. We have both uh, our Red Rock torque motors that we're not currently showing today, but this is an M1 motor. Out of both items, the M1 from Palomar. You see these a lot with uh, bar tech types of follow through yeah. systems. And what you'll also see on this rig is the micro. Is a, is a it's a sonar based rangefinder. So as we put something in front and we move it, you can see that it actually tracks the correct distance in real time of what the subject is. Okay. We'll come back and look at this in a second because it plays a critical role, not just a reference. Now, a basic system, we talk about this idea of a control system. We have a nice little uh, uh, wired controller knob here. We can take this, plug it in. Remember, we calibrated our lens on this base station, and now I have the ability to have a simple ENG-style uh, focus control. If I have two, I can have focus, and I can have zoom. Right, so a real nice, simple system, not just wireless. So that being said, I know that people are interested in the micro-remote, the actual wireless capabilities. So this is the basic system. You can see it's already got a motor built in. If you want to want it wired, uh, in a wired configuration, you can simply just plug it in like we did for the handheld controller, and it's going to work. This system has the ability to set the direction. When you calibrate the lenses, all lenses have at least 270 degrees of rotation. So for those still lenses that are very short throws, this is already going to solve that. And you have the ability to start to stop the camera. Now this is where it gets really interesting. You can actually open this up. This drops down into the remote. We actually now have an iPhone and an iPod interface that does some really advanced and super cool features. What you see here is, this is calibrated for a specific lens. As I move the focus wheel, you can see that it moves it and it actually indicates a numerical readout of what the lens uh, distance is focused at. That is the black uh, diamond here. The red diamond is actually where the micro tape sonar rangefinder is saying your subject is uh, at the distance. And this blue arc, based on the focal length of the lens and the f-stop, tells you the available depth of field of what's going to be acceptably in focus. So you've got a three-point confirmation of where you're focused, where your rangefinder says you should be focused at, and what's going to be in focus of where you are. So if that wasn't cool enough, when you press this little autofocus button, it allows the microtape sonar to take over control of the motor. So essentially what we have now is focus control, autofocus for motion. And that's sort of a big deal. It's sort of the holy grail that we've all been looking for. In addition to that, this software interface has all sorts of advanced capabilities that frankly are not found in any remote at any price. You have the ability to record and replay focus movements of any length. You have the ability to drag down and set soft stops and you can actually print between them. You have a lens calibration database that you can actually store and recall all your lenses and you have the community database where you can actually upload those lens configurations or download other ones that people have created ahead of time. We're often asked about availability and price. So this system is going to be available summertime. We are taking reservation requests right now. 
want to make a reservation, we do recommend it. It's non-binding. There's no deposit. You send an email to remote at redrockmicro.com. Anybody can send it in. Like I said, there's no deposit required. Just let us know you're interested. We'll keep you updated as it becomes closer to release. The pricing, the basic system pricing, uh, is going to be somewhere around about $1,000. We originally targeted $500. We realized the trade-offs that were required to make the motor work just probably not going to be something that anybody wanted to do. So we're targeting about $1,000 for a basic system. Uh, obviously, it goes up from there, but really, as I mentioned before, not only is that an incredible value for this type of technology, but really, it's got capabilities and features and future features because now we have an upgradable software platform that I don't think you're going to see anywhere, and really is going to change the game, we think, for how Focus is managed. How much is the, uh, the Sonic range finding? The micro tape is going to be less than $500. So that was great. I've got to say, um, there's no doubt in my mind that we will buy that for oh, our red. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. So Dave, thing, that's the thing. Yeah, it's not just a DSLR thing. This is anything. One thing I wanted to promise, um, or had promised to a bunch of the equipment manufacturers, and they always applied to red, but I think even Ari with the way that its uh, final form factor is, and possibly Red Rock Micro, I don't know, is that a lot of the stuff we're talking about um, is shown at NAB, and they always sort of go to great lengths to stress that it may change, it may adjust in pricing. Certainly Storm is like months off, but yeah. there were cameras that we were talking about, such as the, um, the Penelope. The Penelope Digital Mag, which so a lot of it, you actually hope a lot of it will change because some of it's sort of, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Going anyway, to change? Good. Yes. So anyway, there's a, a bunch of that stuff. Um, and so, of course, as always, we just repeat that, that don't uh, necessarily um, expect things to be exactly as we've described. Actually, even the Alexa, even though that's two months out, a very short amount of time really in, in you know, the industrial design world, is going to change what we, what we saw at the show and uh, what is on the website is going to change again rather than having a card door where you know the S by S cards are behind it, it's actually almost got like a side module like the side of the Epic with where the CF cards go, so it's a bit more external. Um, and some of the fairings at the end to protect some of the cabling, a lot of that sort of stuff is going to change. So I think essentially they get it to a form factor where they're happy and that stuff can go out to the show while the rest of the time they're out they're busy cranking out uh, cranking out cameras, or we, yeah. we hope so. So anyway, guys, I just want a huge thank you to everybody that came up and said hi and uh, the people that came to our party on Monday night. We had a big party here in Vegas. Um, Red big Giant party. were absolutely terrific, as was the Foundry, Soho Net, who are big yep. uh, sponsors of that. It's fantastic giveaways, you guys. It was really, were, really good. There, oh, there. 100, 350 people or something. And, uh, and I didn't go in the pool, so I'm really happy about that. <laughs> um, and the bar didn't run out, so that's all good. No, it was um, But yeah, no, look, honestly, I'd, there was almost uh, no time that we were down on the show floor that someone didn't come up and just say how much they enjoyed these podcasts. And quite frankly, um, you know, we do them for you guys. And uh, the fact that you like them is just terrific. So we yep. really do appreciate it. Thank you. And Jason, I want to thank you so much because I've got to tell you, I've come to NAB almost every year since uh, the late 80s. And this is the first time you've come uh, with yeah. me, and certainly. And uh, it was just terrific having you here in Vegas. You. You worked your butt off. I thank mean, you. Know. Thank you. No, thanks for exhausted. having me. It was just sensational. As I say, nothing could prepare you for the hugeness of it, but it was it was a really good uh, it was a really really good experience. And it's I've all held around. back some of our onset hats, which we'll talk about um, at a rat hole in a future date, so Excellent. we can give away for uh, for listeners. And the hats were a huge hit. Yes, the special hats. Special. But we'll talk about that next week. Okay, guys, thanks sure. so much. Thanks. See ya.